Well, I want to welcome you all to the Montana DSA podcast series. My name is Frank Kremkowski from Helena. Helena DSA is the producer of this series. DSA is the Democratic Socialists of America. Some of us from the Helena group were founders of the national DSA back in 1982, Bonnie Lambert, me and Marshall Mayer. And this fall, the Montana DSA legislative uh, committee was looking forward to the Montana legislature, probably with dread, given what we uh, know about what happens when you have a Republican supermajority who uh, has very different values from, from a lot of people. But we decided at that point that uh, we would commission that that group, the Montana DSA Legislative Committee, uh, decided that they would commission Marshall Mayer and I at that time, and now Bill Entwistle as a producer as well of this series to do a series of podcasts. And so this is our 30th podcast. 27 of those were done during the legislative session. We interviewed all kinds of people. Our guest today is a person who's very, very knowledgeable on environmental issues. And that is Ann Hedges, who is the policy director for the Montana Environmental Information Center. She's been working for the MEIC, which is really the premier environmental organization in Montana. Uh, founded 50 years ago uh, and just celebrated last night uh, a 50th uh, anniversary party here in Helena. And Anne it was one of the experts in a trial that was held in Helena in June. It was called Held v. Montana, named after Ricky Held, who was one of the 16 youth plaintiffs in a case in which they took uh, uh, issued a lawsuit against the state of Montana. Uh, and Anne is going to explain a bit more about that. But she was one of the uh, experts, expert testifiers in that court, in that trial, along with the uh, 16 youth plaintiffs and people uh, like Steve Runnings, who was part of the Nobel Peace Prize winning or Nobel Prize winning uh, uh, group working on climate change. Um, Anne has uh, a background in environmental issues, and, and so she brings tremendous uh, you know, study and research uh, over the years uh, to this issue. She is a member of the uh, MEIC, Montana Environmental Information Center Executive Leadership Team, and she's the Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs. During the legislative session, you can always count on Anne and Carrie Kimball and Katie Pence and others, Durf Johnson and others from MEIC to be on top of things and, and to call attention to issues that are very challenging for people who care about protecting our environment. Their focus is on climate change, uh, fossil fuels, clean air and energy. Anne received her uh, BS in environmental policy analysis and planning from the University of California at Davis and a master's of environmental law from the Vermont Law School. She also served in the Peace Corps as a National Park, Parks Environmental Education Volunteer in Paraguay. She's received lots of awards and I can just say, I would give her an award for being 
person who has helped me understand environmental issues more than any other person um, that I've interacted with. And I've interacted with a lot of people because in a previous life, before I retired and got into state government, uh, I did teach uh, environmental studies and philosophy and things like that. So I was always mm, studying those issues. But our guest today is uh, 100 million times more knowledgeable than I am on all of these issues. Um, but what we wanna do is to uh, start out with talking about this trial, the Held v. Montana Youth Climate Trial. I want Anne to tell us more about that and to tell us what she sees as, what was at stake in that trial and what is at stake? Because the uh, trial decision has not yet been made by uh, Judge Kathy Seeley. Anne, uh, welcome and uh, thank you very much for being our guest today. Thank you, it's my pleasure. Um, and it was absolutely my pleasure and my privilege to participate in that HELL trial. Uh, you know, that was a, it was the first trial um, in the nation in which kids, children um, of all ages came together and challenged a state's um, intentional uh, decision to ignore the climate crisis. Um, Montana, has a long history of uh, fossil fuels and energy extraction. And during the whole time um, that we were, you know, from the time we had a constitution that gave us a right to a clean and healthful environment in 1972, until the 90s, Montana really cared about the public and the impacts of fossil fuels on public health and on our economy on people's wallets, because um, ultimately Montanans are the ones who pay the electric bills. And that is the money that is used to continue the fossil fuel system that we have today. Uh, so there was a balance that had occurred up until the nineties where the, the government really was looking out for people and their best interests and making sure they weren't harmed whether financially or um, through impacts to their health. And then there came this, this intense desire in the 2000s to start developing fossil fuels in Montana, um, even more so than they had been in the past. And so there were a lot of permits that had been applied for by various entities to build a lot more coal-fired power plants, to create new coal mines, um, to um, increase the gas infrastructure. Um, fracking started coming on board. And during the 2000s, from 2000 to about 2010, the state um, still looked at climate change when it was making decisions about whether to permit uh, fossil fuel facilities, uh, whether that was the Roundup Power Project or the highway generating station outside of Great Falls, the state would disclose what the climate emissions uh, we're, in, we're going to be. And when you consider that fossil fuels have the biggest impact on the climate, uh, it is incumbent upon the state when we have a right to a clean and healthful environment, and we have a law that requires the state to analyze environmental and public health impacts on, uh, from projects on the people of Montana and our, our natural resources, it is incumbent upon the state to let the public know what those impacts are going to be so the public can comment, can have an understanding, help the state perhaps formulate a better path forward 
um, if it if it wants to permit a facility or maybe says no because the facility is going to have too significant an impact on the world around us um, and just simply cause too much harm. But they were the state was disclosing, and then in 2011, the state got angry because in fact MEIC and a lot of our partners had prevented the building of two coal fire power plants, the Roundup Power Project and the Highway Generating Station. And there was a backlash and it was an intense backlash in the legislature against us um, and against any consideration of climate change. And so the legislature tried to write the law to prohibit state agencies from considering climate change when they analyze the impacts of these types of projects. Um, the legislature in 2011 changed two laws. It changed the energy policy law of the state, which is the guiding document for um, energy resources in the state. Up until then, it had been a very balanced energy policy where you really were centering Montanans first, not the fossil fuel industry. In 2011, the legislature changed that to really emphasize the fossil fuel industry over everything else. Uh, and then the legislature also changed the Montana Environmental Policy Act. And MEPA, as it's known, is it is the law that implements the Montana constitutional right to a clean and helpful environment. It is the law that gives the public the opportunity to know what is being proposed, to know what the state is thinking about when it comes to permitting that facility, and to participate and to comment on what the state is considering for issuing a permit. You know, whether there are sufficient water resources in an area. Often the state doesn't know that, but the people who live in the area know that, and they are able to provide that information to the state through the MEPA process. The legislature in its infinite wisdom um, in 2011 decided to bar the state agencies from being able to consider climate change in their MEPA analyses. And we have been bringing suit um, against coal mine expansions and power plants, um, permit decisions by the state for oil and gas um, since that time, asking the state to consider climate change in the MEPA analysis, saying that if MEPA is the mechanism by which you in, implement the Montana constitutional right to a clean and helpful environment, then the state must disclose the impacts that a project would have on the climate. Um, we never got a court to decide that. The state consistently refused through all the permitting process to listen to our concerns and to disclose those impacts. But the, we always seem to get a court to decide a, a, these cases on other grounds, water quality issues or public participation obligations of the state that they had failed to fulfill. Um, and we never got anywhere. And so this provision lived on. The kids in this case brought suit because they are frustrated that the state is not considering the climate crisis. The climate crisis is here, it is now. You look at these heat domes all across the United States and in Europe, where you, you really have people suffering and dying because of heat, because they, they simply, humans are not designed to live in a climate that is that hot for that long. And people, if they're poor or they, they don't have access to air conditioning will not only suffer, they will die if there is that kind of intense heat. 
and you, they don't have any option for relief. They can't afford air conditioning, for example, um, as electric prices keep going higher because fossil fuels are not cheap. So we have hurricanes, we have drought, we have floods, we have fires. We know that climate, the climate is changing and it's having a really profound impact on the world around us and our lives and our livelihoods and our public and our health. And yet the state continues to ignore it. So the kids brought suit saying the state can no longer ignore climate change, whether it's in the state's energy policy or whether it's in the Montana Environmental Policy Act's um, the analysis that is uh, required. Uh, the state then responded to the kids and said, fine, we're going to repeal the state environmental policy, or, or yeah, the state energy policy altogether. So the 2023 legislature, again, in all its wisdom, repealed the state's energy policy. We no longer have a policy guiding energy development and use in this state, all because this body of legislators didn't want the kids to be able to defend their future. And then they came, the legislators came forward with industry and they changed the Montana Environmental Policy Act to make it crystal clear that not only were they barred from considering, state agencies completely barred from considering any impacts of the climate crisis when they were permitting anything, any type of, of operation, but if you wanted to challenge that um, in court, you had to pay extraordinary sums of money in order to even get your foot in the courtroom door. So it was trying to create a pay to play system to even go to court under MEPA, as well as saying the state has to turn a blind eye to the biggest crisis of our day. Um, and the, the, the legislature passed both of those laws and the state immediately moved to dismiss their lawsuit to try to prevent the kids from getting a trial. And the court, Judge Seeley in all her wisdom said, no, <laughs> you know, these are still really relevant issues. We may not have an energy policy anymore, but we're not going to, we're not gonna consider that. But MEPA is still alive and well, the state still has to consider the environmental impacts of projects before it permits them, has to disclose them, has to allow the public to comment on them. And it is a fair question as to whether or not it should, that analysis should consider climate change. So they, the, the judge allowed the kids to go forward with their litigation. And there was a trial in the middle of June that was really just an amazing event. Um, not only were all of the kids, oh my goodness, their stories, their personal stories were so moving. They, they were so smart, so um, mindful of their surroundings and the world in which they were operating, so intensely worried about their future and what the future holds for kids today growing up in a world where the climate is already profoundly changing around us. We know what it's gonna look like if we don't change our ways when they get to be adults. It's not gonna be pretty. And so the kids were just amazing, but so were the experts. Um, this team of lawyers, our Children's Trust, Roger Sullivan, the lawyers who brought this case did an amazing job of 
presenting a case in which they started out with the effects. They brought Montana's best scientists to the table to talk about the impacts of climate change that are already present today. It was like a continuing education course for anybody who had the opportunity to watch. And then they moved into the, um, the health impacts and what we can anticipate in the future. Uh, I spoke to the, the states, um, you know, considering climate change and then suddenly in 2011, turning a blind eye to the crisis and still doing so today, despite every attempt that we have made so many times we've asked the state to, to reverse course. And the states ignored us, whether that is in the, the administrative process of permitting, whether that is in rulemaking, whether that is in the legislature, we have asked in every venue we can think of for the state to consider climate change when it does, uh, per, makes a permitting decision. But they still, they, they haven't gotten better. In fact, the state has gotten worse. The state no longer says, talks about climate change at all. And that is just, that's like not even, that's like, imagine if the state were gonna allow some, somebody to pollute the waterway on the Blackfoot River and the state refused to disclose the impacts of putting a ton of arsenic into the Blackfoot River. It's the same thing. The state is allowing people to put millions of tons of greenhouse gases into the air every single year and refusing to disclose that first off those emissions and then second to even say what those impacts might be and we know from the federal government today that the impacts every ton of carbon dioxide that goes into the air creates about two hundred dollars worth of negative impacts and when you add that up when you're putting coal strip alone puts 10 million tons of carbon dioxide into the air each year you are talking about a very expensive impact to the people of Montana that the industry that is creating the problem is not compensating Montanans for. So I, I had the pleasure of, of being a speaker, one of the greatest experiences of, of my life, really. And then they brought in some experts to talk about why Montana actually matters. So what you know, when we think of Montana, we think we're a big state with very few people. How can our impacts be so so significant? But they brought in an expert to show that Montana's, Montana's uh, access to fossil fuels, oil, gas, coal, um, has worldwide implications because we have so much of it. We have more coal resources underground in Montana than any other state in the nation. Um, if all of that coal comes out of the ground, it is game over for the climate. Um, we have a lot of oil and gas resources. If all of that comes out of the ground, we are in serious jeopardy of, of living through summers that, we, that are unbearable and having winters where we have intense storms, where the rain or the, the, the precipitation doesn't fall in the right form or at the right time. All of these things are already happening, and yet we're ignoring them. If we ignore the climate crisis and the impact of fossil fuels on the atmosphere, it's going to get worse. So the final person um, that for me that was really, really um, moving was a Stanford professor 
who has been looking at the energy system of states for a very long time. And he has done an analysis on whether or not it's even possible to decarbonize, to try to decrease emissions in states like Montana. And it was so hopeful. Um, his presentation was so hopeful, showing a clear path towards Montana's decarbonization and making it very clear that the only obstacle we face in this state to actually reaching what's needed um, as far as uh, our emissions of greenhouse gases is us. The only obstacle happens to be political. It is that politicians don't believe it. And if they believe it, they don't care. Um, we have a utility that doesn't give a hoot about the climate and public health and the, the atmosphere or our temperatures and our weather and our um, disasters. Our, if our utility cared, they would do something be, before 2050. And that's all they're planning to do is to decarbonize by 2050. Science says we need to decarbonize significantly by 2030. Every scientist of worth their salt in the world is saying the same thing. We've got to make a huge change by 2030. And our utility sitting there going, maybe in 2050 we'll do something. That is absolutely the wrong strategy for tackling this climate crisis. And what the Stanford, Stanford professor showed is it's not hard. We have all of the technology we need today to change our ways to live life comfortably, to save a lot of money. He was talking billions of dollars for Montanans, saving that kind of money that we wouldn't have to put into these types of climate disasters or into the energy system. It was so hopeful, but it was also um, profoundly moving in the realization that it's politicians that stand in our way. It's not technology. It is not um, uh, being comfortable. It's not people, you know, people always criticize Jimmy Carter for saying, oh, you just have to put on a sweater. You don't even have to put on a sweater. I mean, we can live a comfortable existence and change our energy system to a way that isn't destroying a habitable planet. And we choose not to. And we choose not to because we don't vote on climate change and our legislators don't care about it. Um, the people in charge, there are plenty of legislators who do care about it, but the ones who are in charge, the supermajority in the Capitol in Helena in 2023, they simply don't believe in it. Um, so it was a great experience. Then the state went and the state had about two and a half hours of testimony. So we had, <laughs> Um, the, the kids had a week worth of experts, the best minds in Montana, getting together and talking about the impacts and what we can do about it and how practical it is to solve this problem. And the state gets up there and they, they have two and a half hours. They have just a handful of people, just three people testify. And they spent most of the time talking about their families and how they care about kids in the future too. Not, not science, not policy, not what they should be doing or why they're not doing it. The, the only guy they had that actually had any credentials had all the wrong numbers. He got shredded on the stand because his 
his data didn't stand up and he had to admit it, that he ran the numbers wrong. He made error after error after error in his analysis showing that it wasn't possible to tackle the climate crisis. That was the best the state could do, despite the state having spent a bundle of money, a bundle of money on experts that they didn't call. They didn't call their experts because they had no case, but yet their experts watched the trial, were paid to watch the trial. I mean, all of the experts of the kids didn't get paid. None of the experts took a dime for their work in representing the kids and trying to protect our future. But <laughs> one of the experts that did testify for the state He's being paid $500 an hour and his math was wrong again and again. So the state put on a lousy case and it was embarrassing and it cost the people of Montana an undisclosed sum of money, which was not insignificant for nothing. Um, so it was, it was a great event. It was heartening to see kids stand up and want to be counted. It was great to have a judicial system, which they got a fair shake. Um, that they got listened to, as opposed to in the legislature, where you have legislators rolling their eyes if a kid shows up and talks about climate change in the future. Um, this, the disrespect in the halls of the Capitol for climate change and anyone who cares about it is astounding and embarrassing. And the judicial branch doesn't do that. And so it was, it was a great venue and it was a great event. And I'm really, really hopeful that the court is going to rule that of course, our right to a clean and healthful environment includes a right to a healthy climate. You cannot divorce the climate from the environment. The climate is a part of our environment. Um, and I just don't see how a court could decide otherwise. Well, thanks for that great summary uh, and, uh, and perspective on, on that trial. I know um, there were many, many people from all across the state who came in every day to uh, Welcome the 16 youth as they went into the trial. Uh, I got a chance to talk to uh, quite a few of them. A couple of them are going to be, have agreed to be part of this podcast series in the future, uh, along with uh, one of the parents of one of those whom, person you know, Steve Held from Broadus, who is the, is the father of the of Ricky Held, who's one of the plaintiffs after whom the case is, met, is, is named, Held versus Montana. And so I'm looking forward to that too. But uh, at the end of that trial, as, as you recall, because we were there together, uh, the people who uh, were in that trial, the youth and the lawyers, and some of the people who uh, testified, as well as people who just you know, brought us together in song, you know, really summed up the beauty of, of that effort and uh, it really does contrast with, with, with the uh, state's testimony and the state's attitude. Because I recall uh, after seeing the beginning of that trial when the state's uh, attorney made, making that initial presentation seemed to just dismiss the case as nothing but baloney. And he, he had the most dismissive attitude I've ever seen of a lawyer in, uh, in, in court. Um, except, well, maybe I have one example, which is not, not going to tell here, but there was a, a lawyer that I had to deal with when I was testifying in a case 
uh, years ago who uh, was censured by the lawyer that I was working for, uh, for the treatment he gave to us as witnesses in that case. But uh, I would hope that uh, at some point, something like that would happen to uh, the state's lawyers. Once we replace the uh, governor, the attorney general and people like that who, uh, who fall into the category uh, that George Will used in talking about Donald Trump. I don't know if you've heard this term, but George Will called Donald Trump a bloviating ignoramus. <laughs> and I think that was pretty accurate, even though understated, <laughs> because I would say bloviating ignoramus and uncaring cubed uh, is the term. But what explains in your mind uh, the ignorance of these uh, Montana legislators in the supermajority? Uh, is it that they don't study, that they that they are under, maybe they're not ignorant, but they're uh, they're simply under the under the thumb of the Northwest uh, Power Company, energy company rather, and and the oil and, and coal companies. Um, it seems like in our day and age, you know, we can all say, well, we we need to study, but it sounds like when I could tell that some of these people were truly ignorant. Um, and how that can be and, and have a person, you know, uh, have the audacity to go into the legislature and, and not study these issues is amazing. What, what's your take on what's, what's wrong with those super majority members? Uh, is that they just have never had a basic education or, or that they forgot everything they ever learned? Or what's your take on that? I think that it's it, it's multifaceted. Um, I don't think any. I don't think the answer is simple. Um, there is a group of of Republicans who are consider themselves big business Republicans. Um, you know, Northwestern and other companies give a lot of money to the Republican Party and candidates, and they don't want to get on the wrong side of them. And they want to make sure that they do anything they can for business because they think that that is the only thing that matters and that everything else is just um, hysteria. And so they'll do anything that the utility wants. We watched in Montana when Montana Power Company did this with deregulation, right? Um, sometimes you have these corporate entities, the Anaconda Company, Montana Power Company, Northwestern Energy, who have this stranglehold, this copper collar, this, this energy collar on these elected officials. Um, and some of it is money and some of it is um, just an attitude that business uberales, big business, not little business. Um, and then you have just a really ignorant class um, of people who are getting their information from bad sources. So I don't know how much you listen to right-wing radio, but they don't talk about climate science. They mock climate science. They don't, they're not scientists, but they pretend to be one on the radio and they pretend like it is, it is the dumbest thing in the world for anyone to think that humans can have an impact on this big wide open sky. They don't understand science. They don't understand the depth of our atmosphere is actually pretty shallow. They don't understand that when you put in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gigatons of a greenhouse gas, you eventually get the same effect that you get in a greenhouse <laughs> um, for our climate. They just can't put those two things together. 
um, and they don't want to. And their information sources are making fun of anybody who does. And they don't want to be on that side, on that wrong side of um, their constituents. So they're not going to go look for new information. They certainly are not going to go listen to NPR or any mainstream media. They are not going to read science. They are going to listen to people who mock those things and they don't want to be mocked. So I think there is a willful ignorance. I think there is a lack of access to um, good information on their media outlets. Um, and I think some of it is just a hot, it's, it's culture wars. It is a hostility towards the other side and the other side being those who care about people's health, those who care about the environment, those who care about our future, those who care about people suffering, um, those who care about natural disasters and trying to prevent them. It is just an attitude that those people are, are just hysterical and can't be listened to because money is the only thing really that should matter. Um, and they're very, very short-term revenue thinkers. They don't think about long-term um, economic issues. They are absolutely committed to short-term revenue generation for a few. Um, so I think it's a host of things and it all feeds on itself when they get into these caucuses. You know, it reminds me of my chickens when I had chickens where, you know, the ones who were alike hung together, birds of a feather flock together. It's a real, there's a real reason for that saying. And I think that that's what happens when they get in the halls of the Capitol. If you're a Republican, you better stick together. And, it, you know, I hear them all the time say, if you don't care about something, then vote with your party. And I don't hear Democrats saying that very often. Um, I think Republicans are better at following a leader, um, an individual leader who tells them what to do. And that way they get what they want. Everyone in their party has something they care most about and the environment is really low on their list. And so they'll throw those votes. Even if they know it's the wrong thing to do, they will throw those votes so they can get what they want from their party on the votes they care about. Um, and I just don't see Democrats acting like that. I think Democrats are, are more independent. They're not as cohesive. They, are, they, don't, they don't like that strong leadership um, mentality where they're supposed to just follow one individual. So uh, I just think it's a different mindset and a different approach to how you tackle problems. Um, well, you know, here in the Helena area, our, our legislators, uh, for the most part, are, are Democrats. They're not all Democrats, uh, but Marianne Dunwell and Janet Ellis and Laura Smith and, and others in the Helena area legislators are people who have really do do their homework and do not only uh, not follow the leaders, but they're very, very critical uh, about uh, their own party, the Democratic Party. Uh, across the state, it's going to be a tremendous challenge for the Democratic Party to uh, do some work in those parts of the state where they haven't put in the efforts over the last 20 years to uh, not let uh, places that previously had Democratic representatives who were more like the type of people you're talking about, um, who have family values, but they're not the family values of the Christian right, fundamentalist right. 
they're genuine family values. Kids should have a decent education. Kids should have decent clothes. Kids should have kids should have a decent, loving parent. Parents, uh, kids who are different uh, sexually should be respected, loved, and protected. Uh, kids should have food. Kids should have housing. Those are the family values that some of the Democrats I know uh, care about. But I know over the years, uh, there have been not enough efforts to work in those parts of the state where some of these uh, these uh, the Republican supermajority members, uh, who you call willfully ignorant, uh, are living. You know, there's a term that I use, and willful ignorance is is kind of a hard thing to understand as a as a terminology. Term that I used to use when I was teaching ethics is a term called culpable ignorance. It's it's similar in the sense that someone said, "Well, you should know better. You have no reason not to know. You've got to do your homework. Uh, don't open your mouth up when you don't realize." that you've never studied this issue deeply and you need to consult and you have to come humbly before these issues. And, and so people who are tending to follow the party line, whether it's uh, the Donald Trump line or, or the uh, Regeer line in, in Montana or the Gianforti line, um, you know, really have, I guess, uh, fallen for some deep ethical uh, um, problems by by not doing their homework, uh, by having what should be called culpable ignorance. It is willful in the sense that um, they're responsible for it, but I think culpable ignorance is a term that I would use to describe some of these folks because I mentioned on these podcasts before that uh, one of my maxims and mottos is that I live behind a veil of ignorance. It's a phrase that I learned uh, from going to school, I guess, uh, realizing that once I got into a topic, I realized, boy, Frank, you don't know anything about it. Study, do your homework, read books, uh, go to talks, talk to people, um, do these kinds of things. But it sounds like a lot of people uh, haven't gotten that first step, which I think is to recognize that we all really do live behind a veil of ignorance on any given topic. You might think you know something, but most people don't know their next door neighbors, much less what their next door neighbors think. Or most people um, you know, are really pretty busy and, and don't have time to study as much as you know, they would if they had uh, you know, childcare or, or if they had a job that didn't make them work at two jobs, uh, these kinds of things. Lots of you know, good reasons why people don't have as much time as everybody else to, to study issues in depth. But on these kinds of issues, uh, on whether or not we have um, hunger in Montana or whether we have a affordable housing crisis, or as they say in Helena, we have a Helena housing emergency. We don't have a crisis. We have a Helena housing, affordable housing emergency. That's, those are the words of the housing navigator of, of the Good Samaritan Ministries here in town, which is a, a, a group of, of people who uh, try to work out for the poorest of the poor in Helena. Well, um, so, Granted that we have a pretty big challenge to deal with people who uh, who haven't been doing their homework and who are yet in power and have their um, marching orders coming from a governor who says it's too much an administrative bur burden to to uh, take ten million dollars 
for hungry kids in Montana. Actually, that was the first story. And then they changed their story to say, no, this is just part of the leftist agenda. That's, that's the Caitlin Price from the governor's office saying, no, administrative burden is not really the issue. It's, an, it's a leftist agenda. We, we have food programs in Montana, except that you know, we don't have enough of them and tremendous poverty in Montana, as well as uh, things like that. So um, what, what are some of the steps that we might want to take uh, together uh, as members of DSA or as members of the MEIC and, and just as citizens to counteract some of the things that you've mentioned as the obstacles. Uh, I mean, we're gonna follow and hope that Judge Kathy Seeley does in fact uh, give, a, give a, a solid decision in this case. Um, but what are some of the other things to be, to be doing uh, in terms of moving forward to address those basic kinds of things that we need to be doing? I mean, I'd say, yeah, study, Go to the MEIC, go to Northern Plains Resource Council, go to the Sleeping Giant Citizens Council meetings here in Helena, um, get involved in that way. But what are some of the other things that you would suggest as things that every citizen should be uh, trying to find um, to put into their agenda for daily action? I think talking to your neighbors, talking to your friends, talking to your family, learning a little bit and talking to them. I, you know, I'm reminded that, you know, who are the people who install solar panels on their homes? It's often people whose neighbors already did. So we like to do things that are familiar and that people we trust have, have talked to us about. And so if you, know somebody who's not paying attention, um, which is most people, right? Everybody has lives, we have kids, we have families, we have friends, and nobody wants to be brought down in the dumps all the time by how bad things are. We need to talk to people we know and love and trust and try to help bring them to the point where they understand the, on the climate perspective, the crisis that we are facing, the really, really serious um, situation that we are finding ourselves in because we are refusing to change an energy system that is imminently changeable, that is going to be cheaper for people. If we can change an energy system away from fossil fuels, we will save money. We will save um, our, our climate. We will save ourselves from pollution. So meeting people where they're at when you're having a conversation and slipping in things about the climate crisis, about pollution and public health, about an energy system that is just so easy to change. It really is so easy to change. Our federal government just put in billions, I mean, or sorry, trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars in the last year, a year and a half, our federal government has took put in towards helping individuals, local governments and states and businesses transform themselves to a cleaner energy economy. There are resources available if people want to install solar panels, if people want to install heat pumps, if people want to you know, drive an electric vehicle, um, talking to each other. And I think COVID really harmed our 
um, our social interaction skills. And so I think it's time to start honing in those skills again and having conversations about these things with people and making sure those folks vote, that they vote based upon their values, the things they care about, not based upon culture wars, not based upon a governor who calls anyone who doesn't agree with him woke, whatever that means, um, not based upon, uh, you know, just only a woman, woman's right to choose or whatever your position is on things like that. You've got to look at the whole picture and not get in, encompassed in those culture wars and think about, are these people representing me really representing my interest or are they representing the interest of the political elite who have given them words to spew back time and time and time again that are meaningless, that are not based upon Montana values and are not based upon family values that are not based upon uh, Christianity. I mean, I was raised in a Christian tradition. I can tell you, we are not being very Christian <laughs> when, we, when we don't take care of people. Um, and I think every religion is the same in feeling a need to take care of your neighbors and to be nice and kind and helpful and think about what we're leaving for the next generation. So having those just direct conversations with people, meeting them where they're at, not trying to change their minds on the first, you know, first go. Um, and then joining organizations like MEIC, you know, getting on our website, signing up for um, organizations alert systems. And, you know, you get a lot of emails, so you can ignore a lot of them. But when somebody asks you to do something, look and see if that's something that you can take a minute to do. Um, because in fact, our politicians are elected officials and they do respond to their constituents. So if every person calls John Tester and says, we want you to protect public health from the toxic air pollution that's coming out of the coal strip plant and ignore Ryan Zinke's belief that coal strip should be the only facility in the nation that doesn't have toxic air pollution control equipment installed, the only facility in the nation, we should be calling Danes and Tester and saying, we think we deserve air quality that is as clean as every other area in the nation that has a coal plant. That doesn't seem radical, but yet Republicans are making that to be a radical issue. Um, we're talking about toxins, lead and arsenic and mercury and, and cadmium and all these harmful pollutants. We have oodles of science that say they harm us. Should Colstrip have to install those pollution controls? Yes, because that's our value. Our value is to protect kids, to protect the vulnerable. That's what we should be doing. So if we can meet people in a conversation coming from the direction of let's take care of ourselves, let's take care of each other, um, let's make sure that we don't have floods and fires and you know we, we don't have fire seasons, which we have now grown to be accustomed to, I think there's a lot we can do, um, and but we have to band together. We have to be effective at the right time. So, having organizations um, who you know participating in organizations who can help you help you know what the issues are, what needs to be done now, can be super helpful. And those are really basic basic things. But as you say, during the during the COVID uh, pandemic, 
and in this after aftermath, uh, people have uh, withdrawn from a lot of the community things that that they were involved in, and maybe it would be the case that even at that point, uh, people were not involved enough in their neighborhoods or in their community to to know who's who's um, who their neighbors are really, uh, or to write off certain neighbors uh, because they, they have certain kinds of um, yard signs. Uh, you know, how people tend to, um, under, under, under the culture wars scenario, which is the scenario of saying, um, we're under attack. We, the, the, the family values Christians are under attack because uh, our gay brothers and sisters want their rights or something, and they'd have no rights. That kind of stuff. It's 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 a tough thing to break out of that insular approach towards who is my brother. But again, uh, I don't know. It's it's like uh, I don't know. My favorite singer is Bruce Coburn, and you may know him. He's a Canadian um, folk uh, singer, and 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 he sings all kinds of music. Uh, hip hop, reggae, reggae, gay, rock, but he has a song um, out called Orders. It's a new one. And he says in there, our orders are to love them all. And he, and he mentions all kinds of people that each of us have reasons not to, to like or accept. Somebody who's arrogant, somebody who's mistreated us one time, somebody who uh, doesn't talk the way we want them to talk, uh, someone who um, never said hello to us when we needed someone, you know, it's that kind of thing. He says, he lists those things in a beautiful song and he says, but our orders are to love them all. And he he's not the kind of person who gives orders, Bruce Coburn, but it, it is an order in a sense to say, what, what's the what's the basic uh, uh, objective and, and action imperative? It's to love them all. Everybody needs love. Uh, those people next door that that uh, we don't like, uh, gosh, even Governor Gianforte and Ryan, Ryan Zinke, you know, uh, there must be some way to reach them. But when we uh, we don't try to reach out to a wider group, uh, it, it really is, is not going to go in the direction that you're talking about. Back in 1976, a fellow came to town. His name was Philip Berrigan. And he was a hero of mine. He came to talk uh, and I asked him after uh, meeting him, I said, well, Phil, what, what is the way to change the world? Just a basic question, you know, you ask of, of important speakers. And he said, uh, well, change your heart, your life, your community, your system in that order. And it was an interesting thing because, you know, lots of people in this culture wars want to change everybody else. But the first thing he was saying was that you change yourself. You know, look at yourself. Uh, see if you're as loving as you could be. If you're as patient as you could be. If you're as open to looking in, into different directions as you could be. And most of us would say, you know, Frank, that's kind of hard to do because we're busy, busy, busy. <laughs> You you can't ask me to be paying attention to all these different people that I, you know, don't know, or don't don't uh, really like that much. But um, Henry 
David Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau had an answer to that question. He said, yeah, busy, busy, busy. He said, but the question is, what are you busy about? And if, you, if, you, if you're not busy about doing things that you just mentioned, Anne, then you're too busy with things that are not helping the community. And it's, it's a tough, tough thing to do, but it's a challenge to us all. Um, to, uh, I would say with Montanans, you know, there isn't a poll out there that doesn't show that Montanans understand and acknowledge the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. They know we have a problem on our hands. The majority in every county but one know we have a climate crisis. And so we already have most people. Mm -hmm. They're just not voting on that. They mm -hmm. don't understand how much money it is costing them every year and how much suffering results from ignoring the problem. And if we could help people understand those two things, I think that we might start seeing people vote on their beliefs. Um, but right now they're voting on the mailings they get um, that show that somebody is evil and wants to eat their children. Um, and we have to, back to your point, we have to acknowledge that people, nobody's gonna eat your children. <laughs> you know, People are generally good. They're just coming from a place of, of misinformation or lack of information or a different set of priorities. And our politicians absolutely have a different set of priorities, but their priority is to get reelected. And if they feel like their constituents won't reelect them, if they don't address the problems that we face today, if they don't try to prevent us having to spend trillions of dollars on natural disasters every year caused by climate change, then our politicians won't change. People need to speak up and let our politicians know that they have to take a different path because they are voted in and they will lose their job if they don't. And so I, I think that there's a couple of things that we need to do, but we need people to actually vote the way they think, vote on what they care about, um, not just a single issue, but the panoply of issues. And in so many cases, um... I'm just going to say I was very glad that you said that really most people in Montana do not hold these backward views on, on the climate crisis being something to ignore. Uh, I think most people, if they were to listen to the testimony at the uh, Held versus Montana trial, would say the government's side on this was, was so uh, um, pathetic uh, because they didn't address the things that they know and that the experts know and that the experts explain and that the kids eloquently uh, did explain. Uh, one of the young men in, in the trial was a young man who's uh, gonna be going to college next year in California. His name is Kean Tanner. I don't know if you met him and during that time, but he was, he was just saying, we've got to keep on trying to reach out just as you said. Uh, because this is so important to us, us as kids, us as friends of kids. Uh, myself, I, you know, I'm a, a great grandfather and grandfather of, of eight grandchildren, and I know a lot of other kids that I love. And, and I, my time on this earth is, you know, not going to be that much longer now that I'm almost uh, 79. You know, and can't even remember uh, when I went to work. <laughs> <laughs> years ago 
I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, but there are so many, uh, so many ways in which you know the young people that I from the trial that I met are really inspiring, and they they. Ken Tanner was saying one of the things is, is that we have to have hope. We can't give in. We can't give up on this thing. It's not a matter of saying we're like the people in uh, Galaxy Quest, you know, the movie where you've seen that, but it's Captain there like this says, never give up, never give in. Well, it's it's not that. It's but it's something like that. Uh, it's that this is too important for us to you know leave our children uh, to all these uh, disasters of, of heat and and uh, climate destruction, agricultural destruction, uh, poison in our air, those kinds of things. We, we, we love our children. We don't want that to happen. So he was saying, you know, we have to not give in and keep on working. And he was saying that as he goes on to college next year, he's gonna continue uh, studying these issues and working in his way to do it. And that, that's the kind of thing where each of us can ask ourselves, what are we going to do today, tomorrow to uh, protect this planet for our children, for ourselves as well? We should love ourselves. But it's the children who um, have those rights under the Montana Constitution as well. And that's one of the best constitutions in the country, including that right that is not written into lots of other constitutions, the right to a health, healthy and clean environment. And then the second part of that is that children in Montana under 18 have the same rights. It's not as if uh, it's only us uh, older folks who have rights, it's children have rights. Uh, Judge Jim Nelson, who was uh, on the Supreme Court for 20 years and had lots of uh, um, you know, really important things to, to do and, and save when he was there. And he's continuing to speak out on these issues and was on this podcast series as well. He's, he's saying the same thing. We just uh, need to keep on doing our work because we have a constitution that is worth saving because the environmental protections in our constitution um, are unique. And I know there's gonna be lots of other trials. The, um, our Children's Trust is working on lots of other uh, legal actions, and I probably think that MEIC is anticipating additional legal uh, action as well, but uh, we all have a, something we can do every day that helps us to become better informed so that we can know the truth and so we can make the changes. And that's the program that I call AT&T, not the business AT&T, but Awareness, Truths, and Transformations. You know, get better informed. Uh, realize if you don't know something that you can find out truth. And then once you do get to the truth, move it towards uh, changing the system and changing it towards a system in which, um, as the Scottish philosopher John McMurray said, uh, the goal is friendship, friendship with our environment, friendship with each other, friendship with our brothers and sisters all across the earth, friendship with those who are in the culture wars, who uh, seemingly on different sides of the culture, uh, trying to put some of us down. Um, and we've got about five more minutes. And I'd like to give you a chance to uh, just you know, say anything else that you'd wanna say, uh, places that you'd like us to um, work, places you'd recommend that we go to study some more, um, favorite authors that you would like us to maybe look, look into. Um, 
websites, um, anything else you'd like to say. So I'd like to turn it over to you to end up before we uh, say goodbye today. Thank you. I, you know, I think what you just said is so important. It's be a learner. Um, apathy is going to lead to the loss of democracy. We, if we want to keep a democratic republic, we must engage. We must be learners. We must be constantly looking for more information. And that's easy to get um, today. It's also easy to be overwhelmed. So I, I think that there's some ways people can learn that they, they hadn't even necessarily thought of. They could belong to an organization or most organizations that, that might be of interest, put their newsletter on their website. That's free. You can go read. If you're a reader, then you can go read organizations like MEIC or Northern Plains or Families for a Livable Climate or um, uh, uh, Healthcare Professionals for a Healthy Climate. There's so many good organizations in Montana working on climate change that have websites that have a bunch of information if you are a reader. If you are a listener, um, which if anyone's listening to this podcast, they understand how to use podcasts. And I think that the, the podcast world is the best way to be a continuing learner. Um, and in the energy sector, there are some really, really interesting, wonderful podcasts. I think about um, the, the Volts. Um, it's David Roberts, who used to be a writer for a number of outlets. He's really smart, wonderful guy. He does a podcast now called Volts, and it is just various energy topics that he dissects um, with some of the most informed people in the nation. Um, and so for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour, you can learn something. You can learn about the human brain through hidden brain. Think about how do people work? How do we help change people, not change them, but help them engage better, help ourselves engage better. Go listen to Hidden Brain and learn something about not just yourself, but the people around you. Um, the Energy Transition Show, for those people who are interested in energy and um, and thinking they want, might want to be a little wonky, um, it is a podcast that is outstanding. Um, it is one where he really gets the best minds in the world to come on his podcast and take some pretty deep dives on topics. And you can listen to that podcast for free for the first half of the show. And then if you want to join, if, you know, if you like it, you can annually subscribe, which I do because it was absolutely worth it. I find I learn a lot every time I listen. Um, there's just so many opportunities to learn more, um, to learn more about our communities, to learn more about our state and to learn more about the world around us. You know, we have some great media outlets in this state. Uh, I, I think our, our the Lee newspapers, um, they have some really good reporters. They really do. Uh, you have Montana Public Radio. I think about young, young professionals like Ellis Jalin at Montana Public Radio, who has come into the state and done a really fantastic job of learning and reporting on what's going on in Montana. Montana Free Press, The Daily Montanan, those are free outlets. You can get on their websites and you can learn about what's going on and you can pick and choose what articles you read, but they do a really, really outstanding job at giving you 
um, information that is relevant to the world around you in Montana today. So I just, I think the key is to not be static um, and to keep adding information to your knowledge base and trying to find ways to use that information to make the world a better place, um, to take care of what we have and to try to make it so that, you know, our future isn't so dire. Um, you know, if somebody's house were burning, we would help them, right? Regardless, we wouldn't say, are you a Republican? You know, are you a Trumpster? We wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. We would go help them. And so we need to help people. The house is on fire. <laughs> the house is on fire. We are in a really difficult time and we don't have much time to solve this, this problem before we tip over an edge that we cannot come back from. And there's gonna be a lot of human suffering as a result, there already is. So if we could learn more, engage ourselves, engage our brain and share that information um, and act on it when the time is right, then we could help change the world. That's how the world changes. It does not change by people listening to a single leader at the top. It changes by people in their community wanting to make a difference. So learning, there's so many formats to learn out there that whatever your style is, go engage in it and learn a little bit more and then share that information. It's a great door opener for a conversation with folks whether it's over a beer or over coffee. Um, but if we don't, then we will be static and our politicians will run roughshod over us in the name of re-election. You know, that's beautiful, Anne. And as I was, as you were saying, remember our house is on fire. I was thinking of my beautiful brother-in-law who was a firefighter and uh, he was devoted to saving people. And he was telling me, he's now retired, but he was telling me um, what the firefighter's motto is. He said, bring them all out alive. Bring the last ones out alive. That's, 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 what, that's, that's the attitude. And it wasn't like, bring them out alive only if you don't have to risk yours, yourself. It was, you know, show your love for a neighbor whose house happens to be burning, even though you don't know their names, you know, they are worthy of having us go in like a firefighter to save our, our, our family house called planet earth and all the children in it and all the uh, beautiful creatures in it. It's, it's a beautiful thing that I always remember about my brother-in-law, Ralph. Um, beautiful person who lived, who is living a beautiful life. Uh, and I'm very thankful for uh, your work, Anne, and the work of MEIC. Thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts today in such a beautiful way. Uh, we will um, put this podcast up really soon. And, and uh, I will be looking at some of those uh, suggested learning places that I had not heard about. Um, and uh, keep educating myself. So Dan Hedges from the MEIC, Montana Environmental Information Center, I want to thank you for being part of this Montana DSA podcast here on uh, July 26, 2023. I uh, hope this is the beginning of some really good things for people who listen to this podcast. 
in listening to one of the leaders of our environmental movement here in Montana, Ann Hedges from the Montana Environmental Information Center. Thank you very much, Ann. Uh, we appreciate you and love you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. It was a joy.